Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Jesus taught us that it was in our uh, best interest for for both our protection and, and for our well-being that we would be doers of the word. He, he said, don't be a hearer only. He said to just hear the word, but not to employ it in your life is only raising you up higher so that it hurts more when you fall. And so his exhortation, Jesus' exhortation was, listen to what I say, but then do what I say uh, for our good. Now, James, the apostle, who was one of the 12 that walked with Jesus at the end of his life, he writes this letter that we have recorded in scripture and that is what's on his heart. That is his uh, dying message, the thing that he wants to leave, that by the Spirit of God, he says, this is the one thing that if I can get this into your mind, into your heart, uh, then I'll have fulfilled my mission. And so his uh, word echoes Jesus because he's telling us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, that by being doers of the word, it shows, first of all, a true allegiance to God. It's also proof of our profession that what we say with our mouth is actually something that we believe in our heart. It's shown by our deeds. And it's out of a desire to want to be blessed. If we want God's uh, favor, if we want God's benefits in our lives, then doing what he says is going to be the way uh, that we see that. Now, one of the things that Jesus said to do the most, it's among You know, of all the things Jesus said, he said it the most times, and it's also one of the simplest things, yet, for some reason, it's one of the hardest things to do, but Jesus said to do it very often, is that we are to love one another. Over and over and over again, as you read through, you hear Jesus say it. In John chapter 13, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have slides this morning, you know, but you can write down these references, listen to the word, let it get in. Uh, but John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for the other. He said in chapter 15, Verse 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment. It's, it's a singular word. It's one thing. He said, this is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says again, same chapter, verse 17. He said, these things I command you, that you love one another. Are you starting to understand that this is kind of important to him? In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus said, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, then wherewith shall ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. You know, that that as we love one another, part of that is that there's peace between us, that we have peace with one another. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus uh, was asked, what is written in the law? What is the greatest commandment? They asked Jesus. And Jesus answering said, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Put him first. That's primal. And with all your mind. And then the second is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, use the way you look at yourself, treat yourself, 
assess yourself, have mercy with yourself. Use that as a gauge for the way that you love other people. That's the second greatest commandment in all. Just second to loving God, to having an allegiance to God. Second is to love one another. When you read John chapter 17, which is a red chapter, the whole entire chapter is Jesus praying and we listen in. It's just a recorded prayer, Jesus talking to his father. Five times in one prayer, Jesus said that they may be one, that they may be one as we are one. Five times in one prayer that you can read in five minutes. Would you get an idea of what's important to God? <laughs> you know, I mean, he said it over and over and over again that we would be one. Psalm 133 I want to read, it's three verses, but I'm going to read it to you. I want you to listen to the, to the heart of God. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down on the beard, even Aaron's beard. Aaron was the high priest. He's a type of Christ, a picture of Jesus. That went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, watch this, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. For when there is unity, that's when the oil, which is the spirit, descends upon Christ and then flows down onto his body. When there's unity in the body. And it's there that God commanded the blessing. And so why is unity, why is loving one another, why is having peace among ourselves so important to God? And here's the answer. Because God lives in unity. The Bible says that God does not dwell, he doesn't live in temples made with hands, in houses built out of marble, churches that are ornate and spectacular. He doesn't live in the building. He doesn't live in those places. Where does he live? The Bible says it's Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. It tells us where he lives. He says, Verily I say unto you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you agree on earth as touching anything, that you shall ask, then it shall be done of them from my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered, listen, together, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. In other words, the place where God lives is in the unity of his people, in the togetherness of his people. That's where God lives. And that's why that's where there's anointing. That's why that's where there's blessing. That's why it's so important to God that there be unity, that there be love, that there be peace amongst his people. And the hallmark of, of, of our witness is our unity. Because isn't that what Jesus said meant when he said that by this, loving one another, all men will know that you're my disciples. So when there's unity and togetherness, God lives in it, and therefore there's blessing. And in that, people see it, and they recognize the presence of God among us. But it happens in unity, and that's why it's so important to God. And, and it's very important to God. So the question then, then, that falls to us, is why, then, is it so hard? 
<laughs> why is unity, togetherness, loving people, why is it so very difficult, even though we realize how important and how primal it is to God? And thus we come to James chapter 4. And James gives us the answer to that question, and he gives the solution to the problem. The answer to the question of why is unity so hard, and then the solution to the problem, how do we fix it? Notice with me in verse 1. He says this, from whence, from where, where does this problem come from? Where, from whence come wars, conflicts, strivings, battles, fights, arguments, contentions? From where do come wars and fightings among you? Now he's talking about among the people of God. Now we understand why there's conflicts in the world. We understand politics. We understand uh, people groups and culture clashes. We understand all of those kind of things. But he's talking about among us. He says, why are there conflicts and wars and fights among you, even knowing how important it is to God that there not be? And now he's going to give us three places where these fights come from. Four, four, really, four places where they come from. The first one is right there in the second half of the verse. He says, come they not from here, even, first of all, from your lusts that war. The word war there is different. You see that the word war is used twice in the verse. The first time it means fightings and conflicts. The second time right there where it says they come from strategies. He says, come they not even from your lusts or your desires that strategize in your members. Now, members typically means body parts. So like your arm, your leg, your foot, those are members of your body. But the, 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 the idea in the translation of this word members is compartments. So I want you to think about this. He says that conflicts originate in the desires that you have in the various compartments of your life that are strategizing to be fulfilled. Now, we all know that men, we have the ability to compartmentalize, don't we? I mean, we can, we can have something going on in an area of our life that, that is almost like a hurricane that would take someone out. And we have the ability to block it into a small compartment and then turn it off and then go through a day of work without thinking about it. And then we can come back into it and we can deal with that, you know, accordingly. And what he's saying is that we have in our body, we have compartments. And in those compartments, there are desires. There's things that we want, goals that we have, lusts, things that we want. And, and he's saying that there are strategies that we have to see those things fulfilled, And that when those things are primal in our lives, the lusts and desires of our body or of our our life, then that is going to be an origin of conflict. And so if you're taking notes and you want to write down the first origin of conflict, it's the primal allegiance to self. The primal allegiance to self. Uh, Conflicts. Yeah. It's the primal, come on in, the primal allegiance to someone's self. Now, You know, some people think that James is tough. You know, James is the guy that doesn't pull any punches. You know, James will hit you with a hammer. I I tend to disagree. I think James is actually pretty gentle. Because he, think about, look at the language here. He says, where do wars and, and strifes come from among you? 
Now, that's just so benign, isn't it? Among you, like in the church, why are you fighting over what color the bulletin is going to be? You know, why are you fighting about whether you should use pews or interlocking chairs or drums or organs? You know, and we just we kind of make this so pretty, like like little strivings and fightings among you. Let's let's get real. Okay, Uh, James could have written it this way. He could have said, why why is your marriage a place of rage and not a place of romance? (laughs) He could have said, why does every conversation that you get into turn into conflict? He could have said, why, why is there an undercurrent of competition in every interaction that you have, that you're trying to measure yourself against someone else and see how you're maybe a little bit better or think about how they're a little bit less and build yourself up over them? He could have said, why is it that your experience or your story or, or your time going through that has to be just a little bit more dramatic than theirs, a little bit more epic. Your story has to be a little bit more, more better than theirs is. Why? Why? This is the question. And he gives the answer. He says, the reason is because of your lusts that are strategizing in the various compartments of your life. Here's the truth, guys, is that all of us are born into this world with an inborn self commitment to get what we want. There is a primal, secret, covert commitment to fulfilling our goals, desires, and expectations that exists in every single one of us. When Adam, who was the first one of us, first sinned and fell, the first thing that he did after covering himself with fig leaves is that he hid himself in the garden from God. And let me tell you something, guys. Adam has been hiding in our compartments for 6,000 years. Adam is so covert and so deceptive. And sometimes he even hides himself from us, from our own consciousness or mind. Have you ever found that your motives are more crooked than you even thought they were for doing something that you didn't even realize how crooked crooked it was. I remember a time uh, early in my Christian life. This was before. This was when we first got married. I don't even know if we had kids yet. We probably had Hosanna, and we were uh, on a Sunday afternoon going to go over to my mother in laws to my uh, my parent my in laws my. Wife's parents. I love going over there. They have just, we get along, it's peaceable, it's friendly, it's all good and everything. But the funniest thing happened is, is that I was fasting and I was kind of like experimenting with the whole idea of fasting. And so I was kind of fasting for a couple days. And my wife said, We're going over to my parents this afternoon. And I said, Oh, good. And then almost immediately after that, it dawned on me that I'm fasting. And then I was like, I don't really want to go. <laughs> And, and, I, and, and it caught me. And I was like, wait a minute. The only reason I want to go there is because of the food. <laughs> because as soon as food was out of the equation, I didn't want to go anymore. I was excited and then despairing. And it was just that one thing that made the difference between the two. And I, was, I never realized I'm, that's, that's what it is. Sometimes we don't even realize the wickedness of, of, of our motives and the corruption that's driving the things that we do, the decisions that we make. It's unbelievable. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the heart, 
is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, and who could know it? In other words, we don't even know the depths of our own selfishness. And what James is saying is that one of the origins of conflicts among us, whether it's in our marriages or in our interpersonal relationships within the church, is that we have a primal allegiance to ourselves. And that's a problem. Now, we'll talk about the solution in a little while, but that's one of the problems. He goes on to say in verse 2, he says, You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have. You can't obtain. You fight and you war, yet you have not. He's essentially saying that the way fallen man handles unfulfilled desires is that we will fight and strive and strategize even to the point of killing somebody to get what we want. We don't go right to murder. We don't go for the jugular right away. First, we try diplomacy and politics. Then we try bargaining and reasoning. Then we try strong-arming. Then we try manipulation. And when none of those things work, if we are so committed to ourselves that I'm going to get what I want at all costs, we will go to the point of murder to do it. And you know what, guys? There's not one of us that wouldn't go to that point. And you know how I know it? Because David was a spirit-filled, born-again believer who had written scripture when he took a man's wife and killed him for her. And I'm not better than David. If we allow our flesh to have primal rule over our lives, then we will do what it takes to get what we want. When what we want, we want bad enough to get it. It's just a fact of the fallen life that we've got to come to terms with. He says, you... You have not, and he says, here's the reason, because you ask not. You know what's amazing? Do you know what God said to David after David was exposed and the whole thing came out? God looked at David and he said, David, I have given you everything. I took you from here. I put you here. You had this, which was nothing. I gave you this, which was everything. And he said, and what else wouldn't I have given you? That's what God said. I would have given you more. And yet David took what he didn't have. He says, you have not because you ask not. You say, well, I ask all the time. And God doesn't just do what I I ask. Well, verse 3 gives the answer to that. He says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it on yourselves. In other words, sometimes the things that we ask for, when God doesn't give it, it's a clue. It's an indication that you should check your heart, check your motive. If God doesn't answer a prayer that you're... You're, you're praying, if God doesn't give you a thing that you're asking for, then maybe search it out a little bit and say, well, what maybe is the selfish drive behind this? And if there's conflict in my life with my wife or with someone else or with a group of people, it might be a clue that my desires are misdirected. The things that I want might not be the things that are really valuable, important, or lasting. Here's the truth about the flesh, guys, this self that we have this primal allegiance to. Here's the truth about it. Number one is that the flesh is a liar. Yourself, you are a liar. You lie to yourself. First of all, about your motives. We don't really know oftentimes what our motives are behind what we're doing. So our, our self lies to us about what our true reason is behind it. But then here's the other thing that the flesh, our self, lies about. Are you ready for this? It lies to us. It lies to you. You lie to yourself. Do you know what you say to yourself? Here's the lie. Is that you'll be satisfied if you get what you want. That's the other lie. 
this desire that you have, this thing that you're fighting for, this thing that you're ready to kill someone to have, it's worth killing someone because I'll actually finally be satisfied if I have it. That's a lie. Do you know what is behind the door of the goal of every single desire that you and I have? Drugs, alcohol, and misery. <laughs> and, and you know what? Just ask people that got to the finish line. Ask the person that gave every shred of their energy, their life, and sacrificed their relationships and everything that's of value to make it to the top of their field, whether it's athletics or politics, entertainment, or anything else. And what do you find? You find a wreckage of misery there. Why? Because it didn't produce what it promised to produce. The flesh will never be satisfied with anything that it gets, no matter how promising, rewarding, or pleasurable it seems to be. The flesh cannot be satisfied. It's impossible. Because no matter how much you give yourself, it will just expand to be able to receive that much more. I just finished a bathroom in my uh, house off my bedroom that has been sitting in demolition state since we moved in 10 years ago. And I finally said, this is it. I'm doing it. Got, got it done by Christmas. And it's beautiful. It came out so good. I was so happy with it. And for like three weeks... I just would go in there and stand and I would just look at it, you know, <laughs> so proud and so happy, you know. Now, I don't care. I mean, it's been a month. It's, it's February 15th. I finished it just before Christmas. It hasn't even been two full months. And it's just, okay, it's just another bathroom. What's next? It just doesn't matter what it is. The flesh doesn't satisfy. One of the reasons why we experience conflict in our lives is because we have a primal allegiance to ourself. It's a problem. Jesus died for this problem. Another, another reason, second reason, that we have conflicts is because we have a friendship with the world. Watch verse 4. He says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, you guys know that Microsoft and Apple don't get along. You guys know that Android and iOS are not compatible. The kingdom of God and the realms of this world are not compatible. They don't get along. They don't interface. They don't communicate with each other. They are diametrically opposed. They are two completely different operating systems. And it is not a both and. It's an either or. We are either operating in the system of one or the other. You cannot bounce back and forth between the two. They are at enmity with one another. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, defines for us in a nutshell the operating system of this world. I'll read it to you. John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, three things, ready? The lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The desires of the self, that's the lust of the flesh, the things that my body wants. 
The lust of the eyes, that's the promise of prominence or possessions that we can gain in this world. Whoa, that's a beautiful house. I would love to see that triple-pointed Benz insignia on my vehicle. Whoa, that being drawn in by the things that we see in the world, and then finally the pride of life, being recognized, being admired, being written of, spoken highly of, being well-esteemed by others, leaving a legacy, the pride of life. Making these things your value system. I value what I can enjoy and experience. I value what I can obtain and possess. I value what other people think of me and say of me and what my reputation. If those are my values, then I'm a friend of the world. I'm loving the things that are in the world. I'm working on the operating system of the world. And John says that those things are not of the Father, they are of the world. And then he says where that's going to lead you. It's going to lead you to a Microsoft computer virus because they're terrible. No. He says, he says that the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. In other words, if you want longevity, if you want something that's going to last, then get yourself in the right operating system. Because the lusts of this world pass away. As soon as they're fulfilled, the satisfaction and joy is gone. As soon as something's obtained, the joy of obtaining it is passed away. As soon as you die, your reputation dies with you. Alexander the Great said, when I die, I will be spoken of worldwide and well-known. He said, 20 years after I die, every library will contain the records and books and volumes of the things that I did. But a hundred years after I die, there'll be very few people that ever hear my name. And the volumes that'll be written about me will be lost in majority forever. He realized the finiteness of the glory of man. That's why he died as an alcoholic at age 30. Because after conquering the whole known world, there was nothing left to conquer. And he realized the vanity of what he'd given his life for. It's passing away. But he that does the will of God abides forever. And James is saying, listen, if you are after the things of the world, if your affections are for the things of the world, then you're at enmity with God, and there's going to be conflict in your life. The third reason why there's conflict among us, our marriages, with brothers, with other people, the reason we don't get along well, it's hard to love people, is because the outward conflict is a reflection of the inner conflict. Notice in verse 5. He says, Do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy? Here's what he's saying here. He's saying that there are competing forces at work inside of us, seeking to influence our will. There are competing external and some internal forces that are working in us, trying to influence our will. Now, what are those forces that are competing for my will? Number one is my flesh. We've already talked about that, the desires of my body. Those things are seeking to influence my will. I'm going to do this because I want this. That's my flesh. Another is the world. The world is constantly screaming at us, isn't it? Buy me. Eat me. 
experience me, visit me, love me. The world is constantly seeking to influence our will. A third one is the devil. There's a a spirit of darkness. He's going to mention the devil down in verse 7. He's going to say, resist the devil, meaning that the devil is a part of this whole thing. And the devil wants to influence me. What did he do to Eve? The devil came to Eve and he said, has God said? Oh, he's already sowing discord between what she knows and what he wants. Well, God knows that in the day that you eat it, you'll be wise and you'll have pleasure and your eyes will be open. He influenced her will. The devil is seeking to influence our will all the time to move us in the direction that he wants us to go. Willingly, our will. And then the fourth one, the flesh, the world, the devil, and then finally, the spirit of God, if you're a child of God. And listen, just because you're a child of God doesn't mean that the flesh, the world, and the devil aren't still going to try to influence your will. What you have is the armor of truth, but you're not immune to their voice. You're not immune to their pressure to the things that they put in front of your eyes your will can still be influenced by yourself by your world and by your devil he's not your devil he wants to be your devil (laughs) or the spirit of god there's a great passage it's in genesis 25 i'm not going to turn there and read it but it's concerning isaac the son of abraham and he marries rebecca and They're married for about 20 years, and she's barren. She can't have any kids. And God's given them this great promise, and she can't have kids. And so Isaac receives because he asks. He goes to God, and he says, God, he says, you told us we have this promise. Rebecca's barren. What gives? And God said, oh, yeah. And she's conceived. She she starts to grow, and all of a sudden, she starts to feel some discomfort inside. She starts to feel this pain that just doesn't seem right. You know, and I know it's not comfortable to be pregnant. Maybe it was summertime. I don't know. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden she goes back to Isaac and she goes, something's not right. Because this is supposed to be a blessing from God, but it feels like World War III, well, it would be World War I at that time, is going on in my womb. What gives? And so Isaac goes back to God and he says, Lord, what's going on? Why is she in so much pain? And God gives the answer. He says this. He says there are twins in her womb. There are two people. There are two different natures. There are two different cultures. There are two different families that are wrestling inside of her right now. There's a war inside. Something's been born in her But there's a war going inside, and there are two nations, two natures, God says, in her womb. And then God said this. He said that one will be stronger than the other, but the elder shall serve the younger. And the implication is that the stronger of the two is to be the servant of the weaker. Jacob, the weaker, and Esau, the stronger. Israel, the weaker, the spiritually dominant. Esau, the stronger, carnal Edomite. He will be stronger, but Jacob will rule. That's why she's feeling this discomfort. Guys, you ever feel like there's a war going on inside you? (laughs) You ever feel like there's a conflict? This is supposed to be a blessing. I'm saved. 
Jesus has been born in my life. I'm born again. His seed is germinated inside of me. There's something growing in me. But why is there this war going on inside? Because there are competing influences trying to influence your will. And the stronger of the two is the old man, the flesh. But the one who's to dominate is to be the spirit of God that was born later. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm laying down. (laughs) There's competing influence. And so outward conflicts oftentimes are a reflection of the inward conflict that's going on inside of me. The spirit, James says, that's in you lusteth to envy. He wants a place at the table. And he's competing with yourself, with your world, with the devil. And he's saying, I want control because I know what's best. And we're going, I don't know who to listen to. (laughs) And that conflict brings out conflict in others. Number four, reason why there is conflict. He gives to us in verse six. He says, but he gives more grace, which is why he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's number four, reason why you have conflict in your life. Ready for this? Because you're facing the wrong direction. You're looking and going up when you should be looking and going down. Pride. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know what pride is? Pride is self-elevation. Pride is seeking to move upward in my mind. Pride is seeking to set myself above others. Pride is thinking that I am better than everyone else or even anyone else. That's pride. And as long as we are seeking to grow and elevate and set ourselves up or above, we are prideful. We're moving in that direction. And the Bible says that God resists the proud. Resistance produces frustration produces conflict. The direction I should be looking is down. He gives grace to the humble. Humility is lowliness. It's another translation of the same word. Humility is going underneath, seeing others as better than myself. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this. Verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is the mindset that you and I are to have. Who, Jesus, being in the form of God, he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, meaning that he didn't think he was stealing anything by saying that he was God. He knew he was God. You can't get any higher than God, right? So he really was high. He really was elevated. He really was lifted up. But, it says in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. God became a man. He took the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, ready for this? Now, how big of a step down is it for you to go from God to man? I guess it depends how big God is, which none of us really ultimately know. But however big of a step it is, that's a pretty big step. 
he took another step down because it says that being found in fashion as a man, it says that he humbled himself even more and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. See the direction that God went? The direction that he went was from as high as you can get to even with everyone else to the one who took the guilt of everyone upon himself. He just went down. Jesus washed feet. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and on earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Meaning that Jesus went down, and the result was that he ended up. James is telling us, listen, you're having conflict with other people because you're looking up, and the result is going to be that you're down. Whereas the direction that we should be going is down. Lifting up others, lifting other people up, and not we ourselves. Do you know what it says in Proverbs 13.10? It says that contention cometh only by pride. That's profound, isn't it? Contention cometh only by pride. Meaning that if there's conflict in my life... There's pride in my heart. Contention cometh only by pride. And so the direction that I'm looking needs to change. I need to stop trying to elevate myself and put everybody else down, and I need to go low and start lifting other people up, looking in the wrong direction. We're going to stop there this morning, and and we're going to look at the solution next week because I want to finish on time, and I don't want to speed through the solution because I think the solution is probably more important than the problem, wouldn't you? But here's what I want you to do this week. If you're willing to let the mirror of the word do its work within your heart. As I want you to write down the three biggest conflicts that you have with another person. It might even be a conflict that they don't know you have with them. (laughs) The three biggest conflicts. And I want you to think about it in the lens of the things that we heard this morning. What angle desire or motive is twisted in my heart that makes me faulty for this conflict well there isn't one okay skip to number four (laughs) start there (laughs) why am I so prideful that I think it's not my fault (laughs) where have I made an allegiance with the world and I'm allowing the world to shape my values And the result of that is this conflict that I'm in here. Who's seated at the table of my will that has a voice in the direction of my life? The flesh, the world, the devil, the spirit of God. And who am I listening to? And what direction am I truly looking? Am I going upwards? Or am I moving downwards? James doesn't leave us just with the problem. He does give us the solution. We'll look at the solution next week. You can read ahead. Yeah, you're right. Two weeks. Thank you. Two weeks. Next time. (laughs) Solution begins in verse 7, goes down through verse 11. So you can uh, have some fun. Add that to your assignment. Go through and pull out the solutions and see if you get what I got. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. 
If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.